0: Welcome to Vital Interest. My name is Karen Greenberg, and I am the director of the Center on National Security at Fordham Law School. Our podcast is designed to help you understand security in its many dimensions. Each week, we will bring you thoughtful voices from the worlds of policy, government, law, journalism, and advocacy. We will look at the challenges that confront us today and tomorrow, from pandemic to climate change, from terrorism to population migration, from war to peace, all with an eye towards the rule of law, the protection of human rights, and the respect for civil liberties. Vital Interest Podcast is committed to making the world we live in more comprehensible, the part we play in it more engaged, and our futures more secure. It is our way here at CNS of connecting with our times and with one another. Today's episode is a rebroadcast of a virtual event that took place on January 12, 2021 at the Center on National Security at Fordham Law. Welcome everybody. It's a pleasure to see you today and to have you all here. I know we have quite a crowd. Um, I am delighted to welcome Ali Soufan. Um, I think for this crowd um, we really don't need any introduction but I want to do one anyway because it's such a pleasure. Ali is an author, a security professional, an entrepreneur, a colleague to a wide array of professionals from law enforcement and intelligence agents to government officials to experts, scholars, journalists, the whole panoply of the conversation about national security and he's helped guide us through this for Many years now. I'm actually many decades. It's coming on many decades. Um, Ali's received a lot of attention and a lot of awards this year. He received the 2020 James Foley Legacy Achievement Award for his work with hostage um, with, with hostages abroad and for helping to bring. Um, American hostages home to their families. He was a FBI special agent before, during, and after 9-11, working on some of the most high-profile terrorism investigations. And now, with the Soufan group and the Sufan Center, which he founded, he is at the forefront of, being, of, of advising all of us on the threats that face us, the ones that demand the most attention, and some of the ways in which we can begin to address them. Which brings us to today's topic, which is what is happening in Washington and around the country and what happened last week on January 6th when the Congress was convened to certify the election of Joe Biden as president. I think we need to have some accounting, some thought, some clarification. And I thought Ali Sufan would be the best person for this. Uh, this past September in a Vanity Fair article, Chris Smith called him an American hero. The other day he tweeted this, Sorry to say that recent events are proving Ali Sufan right again, political disinformation and domestic terrorism go hand in hand, something we're going to dig into a little bit later in this conversation. But before we start, I'd like to share a short video with you just about the course of um, awareness of what's been happening and what's manifest itself in these recent days.
1: You mentioned you know, one of the tools is designation, absolutely. Another is to recognize a threat, a third to start lo- looking into these groups and see how they are connecting uh, with each other. Uh, we have, look, the reason I'm concerned about this and the reason I'm here today is because I saw that in the 80s and 90s evolving with the jihadis and nobody was listening. Now we see the same thing. I can sit with you, I can give you names, organizations, individuals here in the United States, in Western countries, in other places, they have their own Afghanistan and they are doing the same thing. And they are today where the jihadis were in the 90s.
0: That's a sobering moment. Um, And before we get to unpacking some of that, Ali, I wanted to just talk a little bit about what happened last week on January 6th. Um, There are something like 27 law enforcement agencies that have some kind of um, responsibility for security in Washington, DC. They didn't show up. The Capitol police were, um, it seemed unprepared for the riots. Uh, the capital was easily breached, the the steps of the capital were not protected. Now I know we have a wall around the capital. Can you tell us, to the best of your understanding, in terms of how law enforcement works, is deployed, what the hierarchical command structure is, wh- and uh, how come nobody showed up?
1: Well, Karen, Thank you, and uh, thank you for this uh, Yes, yeah, sorry to
0: dive right in, but
1: <laughs> go ahead. No, thank you for this uh, wonderful introduction, and that video that, that you've shown, uh, that was a hearing in Congress uh, about uh, almost two years ago, warning them about what just happened uh, last week. Uh, unfortunately, many in law enforcement and in the political establishment uh, still failed to recognize as threats and to curb uh, the rise of uh, right-wing and supremacist groups, despite all the repeated warnings from people like me and others. Um, After that hearing, uh, many government agencies start looking into this uh, because they were requested by Congress to do so. Uh, The FBI became more involved in openly talking about the threat and how the threat is being, uh, you know, is is being, uh, you know, is being spread across the United States. Um, DHS uh, were more hesitant, but at least they put a statement or two also about the threat uh the director of the fbi just not long, long time ago uh went to congress and he told them that this threat is probably one of the most dangerous threats even you know on par with the uh, jihadi threat uh, just before uh the events uh, the dark events last september last um, uh, deci- uh january last wednesday the fbi sent a stark warning about a war being planned on capitol hill and still shockingly the security establishment that was in charge of securing Washington DC failed to take all this seriously. Uh, you know, the president used a fanatic uh, mob in his insurrection. Uh, this mob included variety of conspiracists, violent extremists, white supremacists. Some were wearing Auschwitz sweatshirt, others were wearing uh, six million was not enough t-shirts. This breach wasn't just a security breach. It was way worse and way more dangerous than that. It was a surgical strike at the heart of our democracy. It was a strike that meant to create a movement and to create an aftermath that will lead to melting the foundation of our Republic. It tarnished our image uh, overseas. It betrayed the memories of all those who cemented that sacred foundation, all those who forged that that country's image uh, as a beacon of freedom and democracy, all those who fought in the fields of Gettysburg or stormed the beaches of Normandy, my God, they must be turning in their graves today to see the Confederate flag in Capitol Hill and Nazis, Nazis roaming the halls of the temple but, of our republic. But Ali, if so you- that, that, is, that, is, that is not just, that is not just they ignored it or they, they failed. The scale of that failure, uh, you know, makes us, makes us ask, was it a deliberate neglect? Was this allowed to happen? And I hope that investigation will, will, will show us what happened on this.
0: Right, but you you know, you know talk about the FBI ahead of time calling this uh, a war, using that word. Um, and we've seen other reports that the NYPD had issued some warnings to Washington. So was this an intelligence failure or do you think there was intelligence that, that was withheld, that was ignored? Um, what do you think? I know, no, it's not an yeah.
1: intelligence failure. You know, intelligence failures when something happens and you don't know it's happening. But when something happens and the intelligence community and the law enforcement community tells you it's going to happen, and you neglect it and you look the other way, that is way more dangerous than intelligence failure. The folks in our intelligence community domestically, they did their work. They told the political leadership, they told the security leadership, they told the Pentagon, they told Secret Service, they told DHS, they told Capitol Police what's going on. But unfortunately, people wanted to look the other way. And this has been a historic thing in dealing with the threat of white supremacy in the United States. You know, at the beginning of the Obama administration, DHS was still working from the time um, they started that actually under, I believe, the Bush administration about the rising threat of white supremacy and domestic terrorism. They put a report out about this and people in Congress went to crazy that they forced Janet Napolitano to pull back that report. This is where we are. Those people are allowed to, to operate and function with total impunity and the chickens are coming to roost.
0: So um, we'll get to um, inauguration day in a, in a little while. But um, I want to ask you about the terminology. Everybody seems to have their own terminology for this. Yesterday, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Speaker Pelosi, called it domestic terrorism. Adam Schiff called it an insurrection. Um, others have just used the word, you know, rioters. Um, I think the media has been very careful to to disavow the word protesters, calling them, you know, violent protesters if if they use that word. Um, They're
1: not a protest <laughs> They're right. not a protest so I, know I think at the first at the first hour of this I actually put a tweet out begging the media not to call them protesters. you know you know a prote- protest is protected by the Constitution. What they did was not protected by the Constitution. this is a violent mob this is a part of this is an insurrection against the foundation of our republic you know the cornerstone of our republic of our democracy of any democracy Karen is is free election. And you know, free transfer of power, peaceful transfer of power, and what they did is a strike at the heart of what was going on. With so, support
0: from you inside, know, you
1: know, maybe maybe the people who went next to the White House with the president, those you can call them protesters. That's what they did. Is regardless if you believe it or you don't believe it, and how disgusting and how false it was. Regardless, that is protected by the Constitution. The people who broke the windows and murdered Capitol police officers and took down the American flag and put up the Trump flag on Congress and roamed the halls of Congress. Wearing six million was not enough, referring Mm -hmm. to the victims of the Holocaust or or Auschwitz sweatshirts, um, going around and trying to look for the vice president, wearing tactical gears and having handcuffs. Um, Those guys are not protesters. That is not a protest. That is a coup that failed.
0: And planted bombs exactly so luckily
1: luckily these bombs were disrupted before they entered the building
0: right so so i think that brings me back to that question which is going forward what what term should we use for them
1: i think there's a few different things happening at the same time and there is no cookie cutter approach in the terminology okay you have the event that took place on capitol hill in any definition Except legal one, except legal one. I'll tell you why except legal one. Mm-hmm. It is definitely a terrorist attack okay. on the heart of our democracy. Now, the reason it's not legally a terrorist attack because we don't have domestic terrorism laws in the United States. So, let me put it to you this way: you if those guys, call are it a
0: attack, ter- but you can still call it a terrorist attack without.
1: You can call it a terrorist attack, but legally it doesn't mean anything. Legally, if you just say that these guys are terrorists you're giving them a, you know carte blanche to get out and do nothing because even timothy McVeigh, he blew up a federal building killing so many people and they could not even charge him with terrorism because we don't have the domestic terrorism but they could now, charge him. What?
0: just so. well they didn't yeah
1: they did it right. and what kind of charges how difficult it is to prove the charge that's number 1 we can talk about this whatever you know that i've been involved in this <laughs> all, yes, for of a long course. time What do they need to prove that a charge? Number one, the whole conspiracy doesn't exist with domestic terrorism charges. The whole material support doesn't exist with domestic terrorism charges, which is the core of our terrorism investigation. Number two, the lack of designation. That's number three. It's not going to take it anywhere. And after you do all this hard work, if you are able to be successful because you're a genius prosecutor, what charges do you have on the book against domestic terrorism?
0: Okay, so we're going to call them terrorists, but we'll deal with the law. Uh, no, no, no.
1: Let's, to... let's go back to the terms to use. Thank you. So the act that happened is definitely a terrorism act, and that's why Congress now and everybody need to start thinking about what tools do they need to give a prosecutors in order to go after these individuals based on what they are doing, because this is not only against the people who attack the building, but it's about the network that allowed them to operate so openly in the United States, build uh, groups and armed gangs in all 50 states that now they are actually literally threatening 50 capitals in the United States. This is what's going on. In order to target these individuals, you don't tar- target this, this network, you don't target individuals. You have to target network and it takes a network to defeat a network. And because it's a domestic situation, we need, um, we need some kind of legislation to, to, to aid um, uh, the prosecutors in putting a network together. And this is a very complicated thing I understand. Now, what happened over there is an act of insurrection. And those individuals who are being arrested, they should be prosecuted as such. Not all of them probably are involved in networks. Not all of them are involved in terrorist organizations that's operating in the United States, but they were involved in, insur- in insurrection. Now, some of them um, went with the insurrection without any intent for insurrection. They just get you know into the moment, they break into the building, uh, they, they threatened people, they broke federal, they, they, they went illegally into federal property, they, 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 they damaged, they bro- you know, stole property, whatever they did. they can be prosecuted legally on these kind of things. So we have a lot of things on the law in the law to go after the specific act criminal acts that took place that day. Now this is on a short term. on the long term, how to deal with this bigger thing that's a totally different story.
0: And by the bigger thing you mean the movement itself? The network. Yeah. So let the me. Gonna,
1: that I went to Congress about two years ago, warning them about.
0: But I want to talk about this, and without getting into domestic terrorism law specifically, because mm-hmm. I'm happy to debate this. <laughs> but I want to just get at this one other thing, which is that, you know, a lot of the time and effort many of us spent thinking about terrorism had to do with thinking about how to, to deter people from terror terrorism to give other options to interfere early on and in non-law enforcement ways, but in what we came to be called as counter-violent extremism, de-radicalism, however, whatever term you wanna pick. Do you think that these kinds of um, programs and approaches and remedies are transferable to this network you're referring to? Or do you think we're really talking about apples and oranges and it requires an entirely different way of thinking about
1: deterrence? I think when it comes to the United States, it's a little bit different. Um, I think as tools, maybe down the road, you can use these things, but you can't use them now. Because what's happening now is a movement that's taken advantage of a political divide. And the political divide and the partisan divide that's happening in the United States is feeding into that movement. So first of all, we need to have a united approach in recognizing the threat and giving the political will and the political backing for law enforcement to dismantle that threat. I'll give you an example of something that happened in the 90s when President Bush, President Bush Senior was the president. And at the time there was movements to include the NRA um, that's trying to do the same thing as what happened now after uh, Ruby Ridge in Waco, uh, Waco, Texas and all these things. And remember, issued a statement calling the FBI and the ATF uh, booted thugs, right? Remember that? Mm -hmm. So what President Bush did immediately, he returned his membership card to the NRA and put a statement that he is totally against this and he supports law enforcement in their effort. That was a leadership test, right? And then he set the tone. He set the tone for everyone in his party to separate themselves from these radical elements. Unfortunately, we don't have anyone so far with the moral courage in a leadership position. I'm not talking members, individual members of Congress or something like that you see, but you don't have anyone on that level to stand up and say, look, we've seen what happened. This is unacceptable. And in law enforcement, we support the law enforcement to go after these individuals and those who supported them. Um, because everyone is involved in this, You know, the media also is not separating between these groups and between the larger uh, mega network, right? Not all the mega people are white supremacists and neo-Nazis and extremists. The neo-Nazis and the violent extremists are taking advantage of the wider mega network Exactly like ISIS and Al-Qaeda took advantage of a lot of the anger that was happening in the Muslim world in order to make themselves more relevant and more mainstream. That's what we're seeing. Even today, we're monitoring, we continue to monitor their channels. And some of the messages that they have, but look, all these megatards now, they call them megatards, the mega retards, all these megatards now, they need to realize that we're the only thing for them that can help them accomplish their goals. So we need to separate that and we need to basically say that there are groups used by the president. I'm not saying he told them to stand by, um, you know, and, and, and then yeah. yeah. he attacked when he told them to attack, you know, and, and guess what? Those people who were wearing six million was not enough uh, T-shirts. They were proud boys. Okay. So, you know, he asked them to do it. So, but let's take these people, separate them separate these groups of accelerationists who are trying to create war in order to destroy the United States government. Those people are not the same as the, you know, the the wider mega network. And I think the vice president have a role to play. Vice President Pence has a role to play because everyone who voted for Donald Trump also voted for Mike Pence. And it's not moral courage to just do your constitutional duty on that day. The moral courage is taking the mantle of leadership and say, look, this election was secure. This election was uh, the results, uh, was, not, was not stolen. And Joe Biden is the president of the United States. And he need to um, you know uh, build a wall between him and between all these white supremacists and extremists, unfortunately, so far, um, we don't have this kind of leadership coming from anyone in Washington. Um, it's becoming a partisan issue. And as long as it is a partisan issue, it will feed into the anger that led this to happen in the same play at, at the same time. So it's it's a vicious cycle.
0: Well, let's hope it's not a vicious cycle. But you are bringing up uh, a couple of points I want to just dig into. Um, One is, you know, we see the leadership of the of the president. Is it? I mean, I still don't understand where everybody else. Yeah, what leader? Exactly, go, exactly.
1: up, go up, go up Pennsylvania the, Avenue, I am with you, take back your country. No, no,
0: I agree. But the le- the leadership is of the, re- the insurrectionist forces. So, but my question is, when we're looking for new leadership, can it come from more than just the, the White House, the President and the Vice President? What about the head of the FBI? What about, you know, the head of Homeland Security? I mean, really? They just follow orders no matter what happens? I mean, is this the kind of... I mean, I do think leadership has to be more than the president, no?
1: Well, absolutely. Leadership right. has to be more than the president. So you have the president, you have the president, the vice president, you have McConnell, you have McCarthy, you have Schumer, and many of these people, unfortunately, failed the test of leadership, right? In responding to this issue. Uh, some of them like, you know, speaker uh, or leader McConnell is trying to have it both ways. Uh, you can't just have it both ways. So. As if to the leadership of the FBI, I cannot speak for the FBI, but I'm sure you can ask them and you can ask the director. Look, you are facing an existential threat to the Republic. You are at crossroads uh, during um, a division that probably we didn't see in this country since the civil war, right? Your job is to carry out on the national security agenda, find these guys, put them in jail, secure the inauguration, secure the capital. Your job is not to go in front of the American people trying to unify the country. You have to focus on your job because you need the very minimum political support that law enforcement are having in targeting these individuals at this point. That job is a job of elected leaders, not appointed people. And and the vice president is nowhere to be found. The president is nowhere to be found. Uh, McConnell is nowhere to be found. Um, Imagine after 9-11, if we have nobody to be found after what happened, or uh, after Pearl Harbor. And yes, this event is as significant as the other events. Actually, it hurts our democracy and it hurts the foundation of our republic way more than the other events that actually united us. You know, after 9-11, 10 months after a very difficult election, a lot of people did not believe President Bush was their president. 9-11 happened and everybody unified behind President Bush. And the whole country was unified against Al-Qaeda and Taliban. Unfortunately, what happened in Congress, we had that moment to unify against these groups, against the insurrectionists, against the negative rhetoric from the president. Um, they had a chance to stand up in Congress and say no. And the moment they came back and they want us to tap them on the shoulder or in the back that they came back, 60, 70 of them stood and you know said no, basically, um, all the lies that brought these co-conspirators to Congress are right and we're standing behind it and few you know a hundred or so people um, voted not to certify the election. We did not learn and unfortunately, this political division is going to create significant security threat in the United States because it's going to hinder um, the way you first communicate to the public about the threat. second, how to unify the nation against these individuals, against these insurrectionists, against even the white supremacists who are taking advantage of all these things. And, 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 and third, it is gonna, it's gonna basically allow um, a huge space, especially because of the vacancy that you're about, where are the leaders, right? For conspiracy theories uh, to take place. And that's, that's what we're facing today.
0: You know, we have a ton of questions coming in um, and I just, I'm gonna aggregate some of them and just sort of tell you what they are. But um, you know, one of them asks about um, the infiltration. Jessica Stern writes, what is different now from what we dealt with in the eighties if there has been a much more energetic concerted effort to recruit sympathizers in law enforcement and in the military? And I think um, others have asked the same question. You know, what about the fact that we keep learning day after day that law enforcement writ large and that the military and that uh, um, has, and I'll include in that DHS, you know, um, that has um, people who identify with these, Uh, white supremacists, insurrectionists, call them whatever term we decide to come up with. Um, What about that? How do we handle that? Those people will still be in place when a new leadership and a new president comes in. What do you think we should do there?
1: Look, uh, absolutely. As as part of Go in full throttle against all these uh, organizations and all these groups and all these violent extremists. We need to purge them out of law enforcement and the military. It's a must. I know now the Pentagon is doing a lot of uh, you know investigations finally about these individuals and their rank. I know a couple of law enforcement agencies start looking inward, but we cannot go after them and 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 and, and have them also be the police at the same time i mean we know now when they came to capitol hill they had a lot of police officers with them they were they were flashing their badges to capitol police in order to get in and um, we know a couple of a uh, couple of the deploy- it's already put on leave or arrested individuals who were involved, involved in this. We've been talking about the white supremacy in the military. We've been talking about white supremacy in law enforcement for a while. As you know, we put a couple of intel briefs a while ago about these kind of things. And this is not something happening only in the United States. It's also happening in other Western countries. So well, Germany, for example. Is well, so, very, so, um, really, I'm sorry, go ahead. So
0: John Anticef asked a question about that, which I want to read. How much of this issue is attributed to foreign influence and disinformation by hostile intelligence services? And I want to add on to that by something you've repeatedly talked about and talked about in the clip we showed at the beginning, this sort of training ground abroad, et cetera. This seems, it seems from the way the media has presented it in this last week, like a very domestic um, occurrence, something really rooted here. But right. what is the international tie here? Is there any? How do we know? Let me, let
1: me be about this white supremacy is an American problem right so it's it has been always here actually even Adolf Hitler get you know further radicalized by by Americans about his his anti-semitic views so however what's happening today is also international and many of these groups are working together, coordinating their efforts with a group across the pond in Europe, in Germany, in, in, in England, in, in Norway, and in, in, in other location. And, and they have been going to Ukraine to fight. And some of them are going you know, where used to go to fight along, Azov, for example, which is a neo-Nazi sympathize, sympathizer group uh, that's you know in Ukraine against the Russians, but a lot of them have been going to fight also in eastern Ukraine with the Russians, and this becoming like their Afghanistan, very similar to how the jihadis used to go and fight against opposing groups sometimes when the the you know after the Soviets pull out, when the Mujahideens were fighting each other. So I think we're seeing the same thing today. Um, luckily, because of a lot of the work that us and other people have been doing, the Ukrainian governments are putting significant pressure on Azov in order to stop uh, their international uh, uh, work uh, with white supremacists from Europe and other places. However, the Russians are not. The Russians are still helping those individuals, still um, promoting uh, their narrative using social media and their social media operations we worked closely with the state department the terrorism bureau and state department in designating Uh, A white supremacist group for the first time ever in American history. And that happened actually under the Trump administration, the Russian imperial, the Russian imperial movement. Uh, This group has a lot of uh, people who operate under its banners to include organizations that operate under its banners in the United States. Well, guess what? It has been specially designated by State Department, but a lot of the individuals who operate under that banner, DOJ didn't go after them, like they go after people who are working with the Taliban, for example, in the United States. So we have the designation. The Trump administration early on with General McMaster. They had a national security strategy. In their national security strategy, they mentioned neo-Nazi groups in Europe, like for example, the Nordic front, right? They mentioned that those individuals are you know are, are a threat to the national security of the United States? What does that mean? If the Nord, if the Nordic front in Europe, in Scandinavia, is a threat to the United States, that means there's something going on here in the United States. Yet we didn't follow up on even trying to recognize the international network. We have groups in the UK, groups in Canada that has been designated by our allies, by our five five eyes, five eye five, five allies, as terrorist organizations over there, but they still function and operate here in the United States with impunity. That has to stop.
0: So so um, the confirmation hearing for Avril Haines for DNI, Director of National Intelligence is tomorrow for, um, before the Senate Intelligence Committee. Um, Deirdre Green asks, can you talk about the challenges she will face on day one, assuming she is confirmed in the context of last week's riots and the ongoing threats ahead of the inauguration?
1: Oh my God! I mean, you know, first of all, we have a significant domestic terrorist threat we have to deal with. Something that we never dealt, uh, we, never, we, we, de- we, we never dealt with something on that magnitude since the Civil War, right? Let me put it to you this way: today, as you and I and the audiences speak, we have more soldiers to protect the capital than we have in Afghanistan, in Syria, and in Iraq. Combined. That gives you an idea about the threat that we have here. Yes, it is happening, right? Yes. That is a very significant problem that the Biden administration has to deal with. Let's uh, talk about the domestic and then we can venture a little bit to the, the, the international. My fear that with, um, and I'm, I'm independent, you know, I, I used to be a Republican all my life until 2005, as you know, and I'm independent. I don't talk about these things publicly. My fear, what's happening to uh, today, that everybody is kicking the can down the road and the lack of response, immediate response by people like the vice president, by people like McConnell, by people like McCarthy, uh, I think it is gonna put a lot of pressure on the Biden administration. My fear is when the Biden administration start to follow up on these criminal cases that's being opened now. The FBI yesterday said they opened 160 cases, 170 okay. cases, people getting arrested, people getting prosecuted, insurrection charges started to you know, flow from uh, the United States Attorney's Office in DC. It's gonna look as if it's one administration going after the supporters of other administration. It's gonna make us further appear as if we're a banana republic. And you have the media, You have social media, you have the ultra-right movement media, you have that bubble, you have frankly some shows on Fox News who will repeat this rhetoric exactly they repeated other rhetoric and it become a partisan issue and we will further uh, move towards the abyss. This should not be a partisan issue, this should be an American issue. This is an existential moment for our republic and if we don't do it we don't respond in a unified manner, it's going to, you know, we, we've seen what happens in other countries around the world.
0: Okay, well, let's talk short term. Let's talk about just this week, right? The, the country's sort of been put on alert, you know, the, the people of the country, let alone law enforcement in every state about the days leading up to the inauguration and the inauguration itself you look at pictures of washington now and the streets are empty right with barricades and and armed troops Soldiers on
1: the floor in congress to protect and yeah,
0: that too <laughs> and so the question is um are is you know is inauguration day going to be okay,
1: be, I think okay? It will be okay i think we have the capabilities to make it okay um good that's why we have more than 20,000 soldiers in afghan in in uh, in in Washington, but, but what you talked about, Karen, didn't come out of thin air. Why do we have this threat? Why 50 states are under under lockdown? Why? That is the question. It's because of these armed groups. It's because of these violent extremists. It's because of they have arms and they have experience and they have weapons and they have support. That's why. And if we don't go after them and dismantle that network, okay, you know, so it's going to be it's it, it's going to be a really really uh, tough future for the United States, a bleak future, frankly.
0: A lot of our um, audience has asking questions about social media, mm-hmm.
1: um,
0: and the question is, and you've written about this and talked about this, um, and the question is, you know. What to do about social media? You you said in the clip we showed that disinformation was you know half of you know the basket we needed to look at here. Right. Now you see that you know Twitter and Facebook um, and others or Amazon are um, you know rising to this challenge basically by shutting things down. Um, so is that really the way to go about uh, stopping the disinformation? Is there a way to to regulate? The internet. Um, w- what do you think? I mean, it can't all be just arrest everybody. Otherwise, we're just going to be, you know, the, the conditions and the partisan atmosphere will create more and more. Is there, in your mind, um, a mechanism for countering disinformation in an effective way? For, um, you know, for for how do you think about social media and all this? What are your? Well, priorities? You know, I
1: think, first of all, I, I really don't like the power that these social media companies have. Uh, You know, I disagree with everything that Trump was saying, but I don't think that they have the power to take out, for example, the president of the United States, even though, you know, I understand why they did it. As you mentioned, the threat today, and they have been seeing, and they said that in their statements, all of them, that there are more violence being applied and he's part of it. And that's one of the reasons that they kind of like shot him down. But I think that that's so much power in, uh, in, uh, you know, in the hand of a couple of individuals who uh, are being uh, viewed as, as uh, the security lovers of the country. And I don't think that is, that is appropriate. Um, I think social media will always exist, but social media, um, these conspiracy theories happen on social media. Is because of political leadership allow it to happen on social media. You know, okay, when
0: tell, tell when us someone,
1: why. Well, for example, Kiyuna, everybody knows the Arawaco crazy people. You know, they have a plan, a lot of these guys. One of, one of the guys actually who was following up the Capitol Police Officer who basically saved the whole Senate. Look at the T-shirt. What he was wearing. Trust the plan. They believe that there's a Trump plan. They believe that they're going to go to Capitol Hill. They're going to believe the miracle is going to happen. Trump have everything. He's you know he's he's playing a multi-dimensional chess, and 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 the order is going to collapse, and a new America is going to born. Right? Wackos. Right. But when people, the FBI said that they are um, a terrorist a threat to the United States. Um, when others are talking about them as, as, as wackos and as threatening, uh, Trump basically supported them. And he said, no, they are people who love our country. You know, every time Trump says country, um, replace it with me. Take back the country, that's give me the country. Uh, you know, you love our country, you love me. You know, that's, that's basically it. So basically he said he loves, they love the country. When you have conspiracy theories on social media, about the election. And then you have more than a hundred something members of Congress supporting these allegations on Capitol Hill. You're feeding into that narrative. It's like when the Jihadis used to say these wacko stuff and then you have political leaders in the Middle East repeating these things. We used to drop the hammer on these political leaders. How dare you you know, putting narratives that's feeding into the extremists and feeding into the Jihadis. But that is happening today here in the United States. Yes, there is a problem with social media and a lot of the plannings that took place attack in attacking Capitol Hill. But also, you have individuals down Pennsylvania Avenue who are instigating these individuals, instigating the mob, telling them to go, telling them to go up to the to Capitol Hill. To, 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 Telling them to take back the country, to be forceful, only with the strength you can take the country, you know, attack those individuals who are voting for the certification of the election. That happened in, in, in open sight. So conspiracies will over will always exist. I'm big into the First Amendment issues. There's a big difference between rights given to us by First Amendment and Second Amendment um, and, and, and what's happening today. You know, a neo-Nazi planning violence. That is not protected by the First Amendment or the Second Amendment. We have a lot of books on, a lot of laws on the books. Apply them. Apply them as if it's a criminal is black or brown. Just freaking apply them. Insurrectionist thing, very clear. You know, fine, jail up to 10 years or both, and you can never hold office in the United States again. And we know at least three or four members of Congress were involved in this insurrection. What is the charges against them? What is the charges against them? Do you think
0: that um, Attorney General Garland will go down this path?
1: I, you know, I, I hope he does and I hope he doesn't at the same time. I mean, you know, it's a problem if he does and problem if he doesn't because he will appear as if this, uh, this is a tyrannical, the tyrannical Democrats going after the Patriots. This should have been done now. McCarthy should stand up and say, you know, this guy and this guy and this guy instigated this mob to come and attack us. I want to censor them. I want to, you know, I want to start investigation in them inside my caucus. Right? The same thing with McConnell, with Cruz and and Howley. The private sector have been have been uh, better, uh, better dealing with the threat against our democracy than the political leaders. Simon and Schuster, for example, canceled the book of Halley, You know, Um, social media took more responsibility in trying to contain the threats on social media. Um, And a number of yeah. Pulling out from the Trump, from, you know, so private, the private sector has been, you know, and, and I think we need to put more push on any donor who still donates money for any of these individuals who were involved in the insurrection, you know, yeah, you have to public shame them. That's it.
0: One of the questions that's being asked repeatedly is Do you think there is literally no way to convince the majority of these people that the election wasn't stolen? Is there anything that could be done that well, would? It be-
1: There's a lot of good people in, in America, there are millions of good people in America. Who questions the results of the election? Because they don't know any better. They don't read newspapers every day and watch the news every day. Maybe they will watch, you know, Hannity before they go to bed, right? That's basically it. And they are confused. And I talk to many of them. And that's why I believe the job of the vice president, I have some of them actually in my family, right? And that's why I believe the Vice president's role is to stand up and say the truth to all these people because they will trust him, because his name was on the ballot as well. We can't just say that everyone that we're gonna debate and argue with are these wackos, radical Qunon, uh, and they're shaman, right? This is this is not what we're dealing with. You have a wide uh uh section of the american public a white sector of the american public who actually will believe um you know the leaders uh, you know McConnell or whoever uh, pence that no this election was not stolen um and this election was was uh, was basically very secure and this is the result they will believe them now you have other people that you won't you, you won't be able to get to. And then you have the white supremacists and the violent extremists. Those people don't believe in the system anyway. You know, like they they just wanted to start an accelerationist movement to create war and destroy the United States. And they say that publicly, you know, we, we monitor their, their channels. They don't, yeah, as I told you, they call the mega megatards, right? So we need to basically unify the country first and go after the people who pose national security threat because of their armed organizational structure at this point that threaten the Republic. As for the conspiracy theorists, you know, they will go back, they will go back to the fringe. It's gonna take time, uh, but that's what's gonna happen. Unfortunately, what's happening now, uh, the lack of leadership, the lack of communication crisis management basically of after what happened and communicating to the American public what's going on. That is actually feeding into the disinformation cycle, feeding into the conspiracy theories, feeding into the divide. And that is not good for the national security of the United States or for the health of our Republic.
0: Um, Going forward, absent Trump being in politics and being at the head of this movement, If he is impeached by trial, he will not be able to run for office again, I mean, convicted. Um, Do you, I mean, you talk as if there's so much momentum to this movement, whereas I'm curious if you think that after we get through this period of time, if some of it may just diffuse anyway, if Congress does work in a less um, partisan antagonistic way, um, is there any sort of sense that we've been through a bad period and because that's not what I'm hearing, that's why I'm, I'm kind of asking. And and or is it really that now we're in the crosshairs and the the struggle, even though we've been through such a struggle for four years as a country, this is really another phase that may be just as intense um, and just as disheartening. How do you see that? So
1: I hope that. The people in Congress realize that they started, they need to start working together. But some of the speeches that I heard yesterday on Capitol Hill is not optimistic. Uh, You still have crazies who believe that being a crazy is beneficial for their short-term political careers. And as long as we have those individuals and they don't get censored because they violate the essence of the social contract that makes us a country in the first place, as long as we don't do that, I, I, I feel that... I'm not that. I'm not that optimistic. Uh, yet I have to be hopeful. Um, the only thing we have is, is hope. I have trust in uh, in our, um, um, you know, domestic, you know, with the people who are working this threat. I don't have trust in the overall law enforcement because some we know have been infiltrated. But in, in general, the structure of law enforcement, the nature of law enforcement, and the FBI, and a lot of the people that I know that they are working this, I have total trust in them. But unfortunately, I really don't trust yet in the political leadership and what's going on. I hope the Biden administration um, know how to kind of like walk that thin line uh, that can bring the country together. Uh, but it's not only them. All of us have, have a role to play. The media has a role to play. You know, the media has a lot of moral obligation on this. And, um, you know, TV channels, cable news channels, um, in the last four years, frankly, even before when he was running for office, they effectively did his bidding and they continue to effectively do his bidding, even when they are criticizing him. Even when they are saying he's 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 lying, it's actually feeding into the image even the persona, the the, the Trumpism, if you want to call it, you know that he's an outsider. He's uh, he's you know you know uh, the whole issue of nativism, nativitism, which basically you know anti-immigration, anti-Muslims, anti holy things. You know the uh, the issue of the the you know the the, uh, the the macho person, the people who basically doesn't back up, doesn't admit a fault. There's a lot of people in America who like this kind of, uh, you know, personality. And even when they are criticizing him, unfortunately, they are feeding indirectly to his. And the media has a lot to do with this. Will, after Trump leaves, will the media continue to follow him like they followed him in 2016? You know, in 2016, the TV channels, I'm not talking about Fox here. Fox was against them, against him. CNN and MSNBC, they gave him more air power. Um, than any of the 17 candidates, including Hillary Clinton. Billions of dollars worth of free airtime. So I think, will they basically take a decision at one point a month or two or three or a year? uh, After this, people forget and they start thinking about ratings. Uh, I think we have journalism in America and journalism is very strong and they did amazing work uh, during this very hard period. But I think I separate between journalism and between the talk shows that we see on television, and between the decision of the specific, the business decision of the specific network to sometimes put uh, rating and profit um, above above country.
0: Um, you and I have both spent a lot of time and wasted a lot of ink writing about accountability and the lack of accountability in this country for decades. Yeah, since 911 for, you know, egregious illegal policies um, and on the part of the US government and there has whether it's for the war in Iraq or for the torture policy. um, There has been a sense that it's better just not to make waves just do things right going forward. Um, but yet, you've been talking this whole time about how we have to find these people and charge them, et cetera, et cetera. I want to focus on the people at the top, not the insurrectionists that were at the Capitol, but yeah. their aiders and abettors, whoever you know gave the tour of the Capitol the day ahead of time, um, Trump. Where do you see this accountability um, ending? Um, how do you think it should be carried out? Because you said you're a little worried about you know, doing it in a very careful way. Do you think symbolically holding Trump accountable and maybe one or two others would be enough? And then moving on, How, if, if you were you know, gonna script this out and prioritize it, understanding all the other things going on in the country right now, um, including COVID, what would you recommend for a framework for thinking about accountability?
1: Well, that's a very good question. And I think um, we need to respond to um, this tragic um, event that took place last Wednesday. I think we need to respond to it in a way like we responded to 9-11. We need to know everything about what happened. But I will add something. We need to be better than 9-11 in actually bringing people accountable to what actually happened, right? So um, I think accountability, I think Trump is here today, frankly. Um, What we see with Trump is because this culture of impunity that we had in America for the last two or three decades, right, he's just a manifestation of this culture. And every time we look the other way, the situation come back harder, harsher, because these individuals, these corrupt people become more emboldened. They say, hey, we get away with this, now we can do this. We can get away with this, we can do this. And you can see it only in four years with Trump. Every time he get away with something, he came back harsher with it. And now doing something not a president in the history of the United States did, leading an insurrection against the US Congress, just because he lost the election. So accountability is extremely important. And I agree with you. We cannot just hold these people who broke windows and went to Capitol Hill accountable. That is not real accountability. We need to hold the people who instigated them, who basically brainwashed them, who organized them, who sent them, um, because this is how you send a political message. If you let Trump get away with it, imagine when we have somebody down the road comes a little bit smarter than Trump. And they say, hey, you know what? Trump, get away with all these things. I can do worse. And our country will be just another authoritarian country. So we have, we, we always say that we are, you know, in America, there's only the rule of law, right? Great. So let's apply the law. Let's apply the law. We're not asking for something else. So you do a bipartisan commission to investigate everything what happened. I am against just going to the Senate now and say, hey, let's impeach him. What is the evidence, right? You know, what is it, you know, I I, I know, (laughs) you know, somebody can go and say, hey, you know what? We were there, we were hiding under that chair. That's the evidence. You know, we tried to call him. He won't answer because he was happy watching it on TV. That's the evidence. But let's do a thorough investigation and let's present the evidence to the American people. And I hope, Every week now, you will hear more people getting arrested, more confessing. You will hear one after one of these individuals that were involved in the attack on the Capitol saying, look, I went there because the president asked me to go there. I was following the instructions of the commander in chief and all these things will come to Uh, basically a law enforcement judicial file that can be brought in front of the American people and tell them the truth about what happened on that dark day. That's how it needs to be done. That's how we need to have accountability. Democracy without an accountability creates chaos because if we don't have transparency, which we need in in, in, in a bipartisan commission to move forward, the transparency is gonna lead us to accountability, right? If we don't have that, these two things, we're gonna have more conspiracy theories. We wanna have more, we will have more division. We will have more people looking into things, you know, in accordance with what's going on in their bubble. Um, and, and and evidence don't matter. And you know what? Truth and evidence, I believe matter, but we need have we, we need to have people with the political courage to stand up and say, no, they matter. Um, nobody is bigger than our country, no mob is bigger than our democracy, no demagogue is bigger than uh, this republic. And uh, you know what, I think all of us are more than willing to fight for it again uh, with our colleagues who are still fighting for the values uh, of this democracy. Um, so you know what, I, I, I don't give up yet, but I think I think we're definitely in a very dark moment in our history.
0: Um... Um, Okay, you know, we end on a note of hope, so um, that dark moment is we have to move away from that, but um, but here's what I want, here's what I'm hearing, and just push back on this. Um, We started talking about a domestic terrorism statute, and a lot of people have asked, can we still have a, a domestic terrorism statute that will respect constitutional principles, you know, in particular, the First Amendment, etc. And do you think that there's the largesse and the lack of panic on the part of lawmakers and a respect for the Constitution, that that will happen in a way that so many have feared it wouldn't happen, particularly if this were passed under Trump?
1: I think, look, you know, it's not a black and white. Everything is different shades of gray. We can't just look into domestic terrorism and say, oh, you know, we're going to give the FBI and the government all these authorities to go after political speech and to go after Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. Look, what you have in situations like this, and I'm not not a legal scholar, but you have a lot of people way smarter than me, that they can create some kind of a legislation that take into account the threat, but also take into account the constitutional protections we have. Uh, from hearing me, you know that I'm a big, and you know me, I'm a big First Amendment guy and I'm, and I'm also a big Second Amendment guy, <laughs> uh, but I believe that there is limits for the Second Amendment, for example, right? There is, uh, so I, I believe in limits in these kind of things. So you can't just go to the extreme, uh, but not with, uh, with the First Amendment, you know, I think as long as you don't, you know, yell yeah, as, as a thing, a fire in a theater. Well, this guy yelled more than fire in a theater uh, the day before, so you cannot say that this is this is constitutionally protected thing. So I think there is something that we can put in place in a way that make the violence, the violence, um, you know, the terrorism acts like we see with Al Qaeda and ISIS is what trigger um, the ability for the prosecutors to use uh, conspiracy, right? because you can't just take these guys one at a time they are not individuals they are operating in networks and unfortunately when it comes to our investigation of these individuals we don't have that um material support charges right we don't we don't have
0: even with material support charges guilt is individual um but i but i take right but i but i understand your point about They
1: they are individuals but there is the people who support these individuals. We right. cannot go after them without material support. Right,
0: It's. It's. this is, I so, love that we've been having this conversation. So imagine.
1: imagine if we don't have material support in the United States, every day we'll, we, we could have have after 9-11 attacks by ISIS or by Al-Qaeda, sorry, later by ISIS. I mean, this is a very important tool. And we, so we're talking about, we're not, gonna start these tools and, and the legislation can be very detailed with a lot of oversights on it that it just like you know um you know we they believe they want to open a case. They open a case. There's a lot of constitutional protections you can put in this place and make the violence be, you know, make if somebody did something like McVeigh, for example, um, you have the ability to go after him and to go after a lot of the people who supported him and aiding him and abetting him and funding him and funded him and supported him. You know, uh, we don't have that today, and that's why we have so many cases. And I'm sure you in the center, you look into them where some people are actually, they caught rat, right, red-handed going to a synagogue to shoot people and then they have to release them and then they have to give them back their weapons because what they put on social media is protected by the First Amendment. Uh, the fact that they have weapons is protected by the Second Amendment. And then the prosecutors file charges against them, like what, uh, violation of Telecommunication Act or something like this. And we have all these cases. We need to figure out a way in the middle I'm not saying that you know have the, all the power that we use against international terrorists domestically. No, that's that's not how it goes. Uh, but there is a lot of things we can do in between.
0: Well, um, I feel like um, this was a seminar on a lot of things. Um, I um, I look. We got to have this conversation more because I I do think one thing that's very clear about the domestic terrorism legislation discussion is how. Um, How in the end, we all want to do the same thing, which is to be safe. And if we can keep that in mind, I do think there are ways to have this conversation where people aren't just bringing up um, what's happened in the past and really think about this in terms of going
1: forward. But Karen, just to to put on this, I mean, this this discussion is like putting the cart ahead of the horse. There's a lot of things that can be done now. We have a lot of laws on the books now. Let's apply them. That stay, I agree with. Let's Here see where that lead us. I, you know, I, we I really things. We need a unified approach. As long as we don't have a unified bipartisan approach, we cannot do any of these things. So basically, discussing a terrorism bill is a mute point at this point.
0: Okay. This on on this, I, I. There is so many authorities out there. But I still believe
1: that we should have something.
0: But, but you know, one of the reasons I wanted to do this event was to sort of make people understand where the mechanisms for safety are. And we do have a tremendous amount of laws in place and, and policies, by the way, in terms of how law enforcement operates, that this shouldn't have happened and this shouldn't happen again. And so I really appreciate your saying that you think Inauguration Day. This is under control from law enforcement. Um, I I really appreciate um, (laughs) (laughs) that we're in the middle of a conversation that is going to go on and on. Um, And I guess that's the good thing, that we're kind of in this together, which is what we've been trying to say for a very long time. So Ali Soufan, um, you are an American hero, and I thank you tremendously. Um, Thank you. We
1: shall overcome. We shall overcome.
0: Until next time, thank you to our audience for all of your wonderful questions. Thank you for listening to today's conversation. We hope it made your day a little brighter, a little clearer, and a little more informed. Join us next time for the newest installment of Vital Interest Podcast. In the meantime, feel free to send us your questions at vitalinterestpodcast.org, And to follow us on Twitter at VI underscore podcast CNS. And make sure to check out our daily morning brief, our weekly cyber brief, and our vital interests online forum at centeronnationalsecurity.org. Have a wonderful week and please stay safe.